Good morning. I am so grateful for the opportunity to share with all of you this morning here at Evangelical Community Church, ECC. Uh, I did have the privilege of working with Pastor Ryan just for a short while, for about a year and a half, at Colts Neck Community Church together. I love your pastor and his family. I'm grateful for them and grateful for what they have meant to my family. Paul spoke in Philippians of how he was rejoicing in the Philippians and how he was grateful that they loved Jesus and how he loved Jesus more because of the Philippian church. And I can say that about your pastor. I love Jesus more because of the Hawkins family. And so I'm grateful to stand in front of you today here in this pulpit and to share with you from God's word. Now, as we gather here this morning, certainly it's not my hope that your affections, that you would glory in Pastor Ryan, right? Here, as we gather over God's word, I want you to glory and to love, to adore Jesus, to adore our good God, our Father. And so this morning, we are going to be studying Psalm chapter 121, Psalm 121. And here, if you look at the very top of the text, it says this is a psalm of ascents. A psalm of ascents. And what that means is that as the Israelites would have journeyed from kind of the surrounding areas of Jerusalem, they would have been coming together to worship God in the temple. And so they would have been singing this song on their journey. And the Trumper Longman, he's kind of a scholastic, he notes, the trip to the temple on Zion in Jerusalem would involve not only a physical journey, but also a spiritual one, since Jerusalem was the place where heaven Met earth. Now remember, the temple is where God had chosen to make his dwelling amongst his people. And so for the people to be journeying to the temple, well, they were going to meet with God. This was a big moment. They were going to go and be with him. And so as we look at this text, that's what they're doing. They're singing this song. They're journeying to the temple. Look back at your Bibles and let's read together verse 1. Verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Now, before thinking too deeply about some of the significance here, let's just take the text at face value. They're lifting their eyes up to the hills. They would have literally been looking up to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But also they would have been looking up towards God. They were lifting up their eyes towards him. And there they ask this really significant question. From where does my help come? From where does my help come? So if you're a note taker and you want to follow along with the outline of the sermon this morning, our first point is simply a repetition of that question. From where does my help come? Personalize it a little bit. From where does my help come? You see, the way in which a person answers that question tells us a lot about the desires of their heart where they have placed their hope. You see, we live in a world that's been greatly affected by a pandemic. We see those effects each and every day. And it seems that maybe we should be watching a world turn back to God. If the world has been rocked and shaken, we would expect that they would turn to him as a source of comfort and hope. But instead, quite tragically, it seems as if more and more we are watching people put their hope and find their help And things that have been created, things that aren't meant to sustain or to uphold our hope. Romans 1 says this about man. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their body among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So this morning, I want to simply ask very honestly, where does your help come from? Where does your help come from? When life is good and the world is moving along as though all seems well, where does your help come from? Where does your mind run to when you have moments of peace, when there are situations that are bringing you joy? What is it that your heart delights in and seeks after? What do you think about when you're considering how to invest your time and your talents and your resources? Do you think of the one who created you, who loves you, who sustains even your very next breath? Or instead, do your thoughts rarely wander to him? Instead, does your help perhaps come from money or a job, status? Does your help come from family that's been elevated out of its proper place? Maybe it's health and peace. Maybe it's a spouse or thoughts of a future spouse. You see, from where does your help come? What do you look to for a sense of security? Where do you turn to for joy? Where does your help come from? If your help, if your joy, if your peace, if your delight is rooted most deeply in anything other than God, then your help is insufficient and unworthy. You see, do you know why we lose faith? Why we despair when tragedy strikes? It's because our trust was not placed fully on God himself in the first place. Now, listen carefully to what I'm saying here. Grief is right. Jesus himself wept in the midst of tragedy. We are rightfully pained and saddened when hardship enters and we see the effects of sin on our world. We should weep over sin over the loss of a loved one, over the catastrophic effects that we see about us each and every day. These are causes for lament and for sorrow, and our hearts should break in each and every one of these things. However, when God is our help, when the question comes and the chips are down and it says, where does my help come from? And we can say truly and honestly, God is my help. Then my emotions do not terminate in grief. No, they roll on into the great joy and hope of Jesus Christ himself, the one who truly will make all things new. You see, we trust fully in the promise that God is working all things together for good. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Church, that verse means that in the deepest tragedy, when despair is overwhelming, when grief comes in waves, when a job has been lost, news of cancer comes, when someone dearly loved passes, that sorrow is not our final answer. In all these things, Scripture says God is working them for your good. 
for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. You see, that is a true hope and peace that the world cannot understand. How can a Christian be at peace when tragedy strikes? Because he finds his help in things that are not of this world, in things that are not temporary and do not fade. They cannot be taken. The Christian's hope is in a person, one who has not been created, one who does not change, who will not fade, one who has power and authority over all things. Look back down into your text there with me, starting in verse 1, and let's read all the way through verse 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where does the psalmist find his help? From the Lord, from Yahweh. So our second point is simply an answer to the first point. My help comes from the Lord. You see, the one who had saved Noah from the flood The God that miraculously opened the wombs of Sarah and Rachel. The God who parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites might walk free from Egyptian slavery. This God is the one who was the source of the help for the psalmist. And he is our source of hope and help too. You see, no other source of help can provide this. They will all fall apart, but God himself will always be sufficient. Perhaps you've heard of the Westminster Confession. It's a theological statement that was written in the 17th century by a group of men known as the Puritans, so long time ago. And in the question and answer statement of this uh, document, the first question said, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? What's the purpose? And the answer was just as simple. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You see, the ultimate purpose of mankind is to bring glory to God and to enjoy him forever. We were created to know and to love and to enjoy him. So then we come back to that question, from where does our help come? Psalm says, my help comes from the Lord. It's from the one who made heaven and earth. You see, and why is he the only sufficient, always dependable source of help? Because it's only in him that we can bring him glory and honor. It's only in God that we can fulfill our purpose to glorify God. Only with him as my helper will I find deep and abiding and never-ending satisfaction. Only with the help of God can I experience peace and joy that is beyond understanding. Joy that is abundant. Joy that is full and complete. Only when my help comes from God will my fears be relieved. Will my shame be brought to an end. You see, every other helper that my flesh so quickly runs to, they will all let me down. Not only that, but they will ask that I give more and more and more of myself But it is God who flips that paradigm. God gives himself. All of those other things promise joy and comfort and rest. But they cannot meet God-sized expectations. Nothing 
Not our material possessions, not our children, not our job, not our spouse. None of these things can stand in the place of God. Only He will never fail you. Only He will never let you down. Only God will never abandon you. Now the psalmist doesn't stop with just that His help comes. He gives us this great reason You see, the Israelites, as they're reading this, they would have known these incredible works that Yahweh had done for them. They would have known of all these majestic things. But the author doesn't just stop with those miraculous things. He roots it all the way back to creation. You see, it's the one who created all things. He is my helper. If he created all things, what do I have to fear? What can come against me? What can stand against me? What tragedy could befall me that would be outside of the control of the one who created all things? What could make me afraid? You see, as the hope of my heart rests in him, I can trust fully in his help. No hardship is greater than the help of the one who is sovereign over all things. Surely, Truly, his help, the maker of heaven and earth, it is enough. His help is enough. Look back, listen to these beautiful promises in verses 3 through 7. These incredible promises from our great helper. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Now think about these verses in light of what the psalmist has already said. He will not let your foot be moved. The one who is the maker of heaven and earth, he will not slumber He won't ever be absent, not even for a moment. He won't take a day off in helping you. He won't go to sleep in the middle of the night. He is always there. He is your keeper. He is your shade on your right hand. Even the sun, the great celestial power, it cannot have any power against you because of his great help. And last year I went on a short retreat with a group of pastors And during that trip, we went on a hike together. And as we were walking through, it was not a very uh, well-trodden path. It was rocky and had a lot of roots and branches kind of coming into the path. And one of the pastors remarked that it is unlikely we have any clue how often God has prevented our feet from slipping. That even as we're walking through this rocky path, the rocks underneath our feet, God is upholding. You see, I wonder how often... God has done that. How often God has prevented things that we don't even have any clue about. How often we haven't gotten in the car accident because God was there. How often we haven't heard the news of a loved one passing because God was holding us. He was keeping us. How often we haven't gotten the news of tragedy or of cancer or of a lost job because God himself was intervening on our behalf because he is our keeper. The Lord is our keeper. Church, that is good news. The one who made heaven and earth, the one who is sovereign over all things, he will keep you. He will hold you. He will not slumber. The sun 
the moon, they cannot even strike you. How good it is that we regularly avoid tragedy just because we have a Father in heaven who cares for us. We have one who loves us. And he has promised that he is working all things together for our good. Truly, his help is enough. In all things, sickness, sadness, tragedy, death, joy, delight, goodness, his help is enough. None of those things can stand against us. Read verse 7 with me again. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep your life. In some ways, this verse echoes a very similar promise. Perhaps the most famous of all the Psalms. Psalm chapter 23 verse 4 says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We will walk through evil and suffering and hardship and pain. We will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But God is our shepherd. He is with us. He is our protector. He is our helper. He is near. Jesus himself later echoes the same promise. John chapter 10, verses 10 through 15. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, Jesus himself is the great fulfillment of the promise in Psalm chapter 121. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And how will he keep your life? By sending his son to lay down his life. You see, he keeps your life by giving up that of Christ Jesus so that you might have eternal life. You see, when we read these promises in Psalm 121, they should immediately direct our attention back to the good news of the gospel. Jesus himself, God is our helper because he rescued us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We cannot be shaken. Our foot will not be moved. The sun will not strike us. We will be kept from all evil because Jesus lived, died, and was raised again. This is good news. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Look back with me as we turn our attention to verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The Lord will keep our going and our coming. We can rest safely in his arms, knowing that wherever we go, whatever we do, that we are never outside of his care. You see, our third point this morning is that God will never leave you. You see, sometimes we think of God as if he is some sort of um, scary overwatcher, like a big brother, if you will, that, hey, if I do something wrong, well, I better be careful because God's always there and he's going to see what I do wrong. 
But it's not bad news that God is always there. It is good news, church, that God is always there. We do not want to have thoughts that God, we wish God couldn't see what we did. You see, it is good that God sees all that we do because He is our helper. If there was even a moment that we were separated from God, all would be lost. All would be lost. You see, He upholds even our next breath, our next step, our next moment. All things are held in Him. Our third point this morning is that God will never leave you. God will never leave you. So we were to connect all three of these points. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. He will never leave me. He will never leave me. Psalm chapter 73 gives us this incredible promise. Verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, he is continually with us. Verse 24 there says, he will receive us into glory. He will keep us. He will hold us from this day forth and forevermore until the day we are received into glory. Verse 26 said that God is our strength and our portion. God will never depart from us. Jesus, again, this should all point our attention to Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus promises himself at the end of the Great Commission in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Philippians chapter 1, 6, the Apostle Paul says, I am sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Today, tomorrow, and forever, until we are received into glory, God will continue his work as our helper, protector, redeemer, and savior. Now perhaps this morning as you sit here and you hear these incredible promises You maybe realize these don't belong to me. I don't trust in Jesus. I have not turned to him. I have not accepted him as Savior and Lord over my life. This morning, perhaps this very moment even, you have become aware that you are in need of a Savior. You see, to some extent, we have all realized and acknowledged no other help is sufficient. All other helps have let us down The saviors that this world has offered are incompetent and incapable. They cannot provide eternal joy and peace. Now there's no amount of good works that you can do that can save you. There isn't a scale that we can somehow hopefully balance out. I've done really well. That'll be enough. There's not enough money you can give. Not enough righteousness you can attain in your own strength. Not enough goodness you can do to redeem yourself from the sin of your rebellion against God. Listen to how the Bible says this. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law, someone who keeps the whole law but fails in just one point, 
has become guilty of all of it. Scripture says one lie, one lustful glance, one moment of self-seeking pride, that all of these are the same as breaking the entire law, becoming guilty of every sin that there is. And we all were once lost in that sin. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned, all have fallen short, but there is good news. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, the one who is truly both God and man, He came to live among us. He suffered the humiliation of the cross and bore the wrath of God on our behalf so that we might be reconciled to the Father, that we might have a relationship with God once again through the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, if you have not believed, would you? Would you believe? Do you hear the promises of Jesus? Do you believe that he lived a perfect life, died a death, a substitutionary death on your behalf, and that three days later he rose again conquering sin and death? Will you follow him as Lord? This morning, will you believe and follow Jesus? Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That verse is followed just a couple verses later in verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls. There isn't a magic prayer. There aren't perfect words. It's not a formula. Believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Follow Him as Lord. If this morning in your heart and your mind you truly believe and trust in Jesus Christ, then you can know you have been adopted as a child of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If this morning you do believe, if you have been a Christian, perhaps for many years, may this passage here in Psalm 121 lead you into worship and to praise for our great helper. The one who is so gracious, who has been so good to save you, to redeem you, to pull you out of the pit. Not because of us or because of our works or because he looked down and saw something particularly good in you, but simply because of his great grace. Because he is so good. Because he is so kind and loving and compassionate and merciful. Your belief is a result of his goodness, not your own. Believe in Jesus Christ. Don't let another moment, another day, much less another year pass by in which you have not believed and trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if this morning it is a new belief for you, I'm certain, Pastor Ryan, I'm certain the elders of this church would love to talk with you. You see, I want to encourage you to let others know that you have set all of your hope this morning on the only one who is meant to be your hope. The only one who is the true source of joy and delight. You see, church, we walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ in this. The Christian walk is difficult. It is hard. 
but it is not meant to be lonely. There are men and women who want to know you, to love you, to grow alongside of you. Look back once more at verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Brother and sister in Christ, when you read this verse, what fear can keep you from walking in faith? The Lord will keep you going out and you're coming in. He will watch your steps. He will take care of you. He will be with you and for you today, tomorrow, forevermore. You see, what cares of this world could disturb and rob a joy and a peace that is rooted in the almighty maker of heaven and earth keeping you, holding you. You're in his hand. He loves you because of who he is. Titus 3, 3 through 5 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. What more do we need? Church, as you move forward from this place, set your eyes, set your affections, set your attention and your hope, your joy on Him. On God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, as we find our hope and our rest in God, I want you to be bold for his name's sake. Don't be fearful of the culture or the society. He is your helper. Tell others the good news of who Jesus is. You see, had we not had someone to step into that void and tell us the good news of Jesus, we would still be lost and headed to an eternity in hell. And yet because one person knew the goodness of Jesus Christ, and shared it with us. Now we too know Jesus. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't let tragedy shake your world. Don't fall into despair. Jesus is your joy. And he does not change. He does not fade. We were created to shine forth the image of God, to represent his glory. How sad it is when we are ashamed or embarrassed of the image that we were created to shine forth. You see, it's in those moments. It's in the moments in which we are ashamed that we are robbed of our joy and our peace. You see, I fully believe that you will find no greater joy, no greater peace, no greater satisfaction than seeking for the glory of God, not for your own. It's my prayer that this church, the ECC, would shine brightly the glory of Jesus Christ. And may God grant that this church would see an incredible moving of the Holy Spirit in which many sons and daughters are brought to redemption by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Church, let us turn to the helper. Let us turn to the one who never departs. Let us set aside all cowardice, all nervousness. May we endure with joy 
whatever suffering is before us. Let us be a people who truly look like Jesus Christ in all that we do. Don't be satisfied to settle for another day of seeking after the things that can't satisfy. This moment, this day, this year, may you look back on this season and know that you turned from all those things and that you found your great joy, your great delight, your great peace in God because he will never fail you from now and forevermore. He will hold you. He will keep you. Turn to him. Trust in him. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hill. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth.